Welcome to Superintendent Radio Network. I'm Guy Cipriano. We're continuing our Tartan Talk series by having a conversation with Todd Schoder. Todd's going to describe his start in the game, which included playing a six-hole golf course and working for a legendary superintendent in the upper Midwest. We're also going to chat with Todd about the City Park Golf Course in Denver, which is his most recently completed project. The course is going to reopen later this summer, and there are a lot of elements at play, including stormwater management and providing an awesome golf amenity for the residents of Denver. But before we get going with Todd, we'd like to thank Better Billy Bunker for supporting this podcast. Better Billy Bunker is not only a huge supporter of the American Society of Golf Course Architects, Better Billy Bunker supports a number of industry efforts, including the work of golf course superintendents. So we're glad that they're on board, and we're glad that Todd was able to join us. Well, Todd, it's great to have you on the podcast. Uh, this is going to be a fun conversation. And the first thing I want to ask you about here is you had a unique start to your career in golf. You were a teenager growing up in Minnesota, and you got to work at a Seth Rayner designed golf course. What do you remember about your days working maintenance at Minnesota Valley Country Club? Well, thank you, Guy. I really appreciate being on this morning. And yes, I was very, very fortunate uh, growing up in Minnesota, surrounded by many classic golf courses, and had the opportunity to work on a classic Seth Rayner course. Bring you up that question and bring back lots of memories such a long time ago. But, yes, that course opened in 1925. And in a roundabout way, it, you know, working on the course on the grounds crew as a teenager all the way through high school and college brought me to design. But it really happened this way. I grew up from another golf course about a five iron away to a really fun 18-hole, 5,800-yard, par 68 golf course. Um, the gentleman that donate, donated the land for the course, he actually kept several acres for himself. And what he did, he made a makeshift six-hole course, and he opened it up to all the local kids and could come and play at any time, play it for free, uh, enjoy the game. He just wanted, at that time, which would have been about 1979, he wanted to grow the game. That really sparked my interest. That got me interested. And about the age of 10, I started playing there every single day. We'd go up there and play with my buddies. We'd play for hours. Uh, it grew our passion. It grew us. It introduced us to the game. So, really, I started playing at that point. I didn't know anything about maintenance. I didn't know anything about golf course design, construction, agronomy. What I did know is I loved the game and I wanted to play. So, what does a young, green teenager do? When he looks for a golf course, that maybe will offer playing privileges. And sure enough, Minnesota Valley, the golf course we're talking about, happened to be hiring. Uh, they were hiring for grounds crew. Like I said, I knew nothing about maintenance, but they did offer playing privileges. And at that time, they offered playing privileges every single day, not just Mondays. So this was an amazing opportunity. So I went and applied. They offered me the job, and that's how I got into maintenance. Does the six-hole course still exist? You know, it does not, unfortunately. Uh, the property was sold off by the original owner, and they put it back into private. It's too bad. Uh, we'll maybe talk about that more later, but it was a great opportunity for the young kids in the area. Never forget that. Minnesota Valley Country Club, you worked for a legendary superintendent, Larry Mueller. What do you remember about that experience, and what did you learn from him? Wow, what a, what a character. Um, he started at the golf course, I believe it was 1966 and worked there for 35 years. I think he retired in 2001. You know, he's a, that Mueller, the last name, he's German heritage. He was a stern taskmaster, no nonsense. He was only the second superintendent of the club at that time. 
Um, he was in a, he was really a fun individual to work for. I ended up working for him for seven years, but on the, my very first day, I, I guess this is a funny story. I was nearly fired. Um, I got to work again. I'm a young teenager, 16 years old. He was going to send me out for my job on the day, and he I put me on this classic vintage 1947 John Deere tractor and said, "Here you go." Luckily, growing up, I learned how to drive a car with a clutch, so I at least thought I could uh, operate the tractor. But driving down the first hill, I uh, couldn't get it into gear. The engine's overheating; it's smoking. Uh, nearly blew up, blew it up, and it came back later. And, and unbeknownst to me, Larry was watching me the entire time and said, "Son, um, did you have trouble with that tractor?" "Yes, sir, Larry. I certainly did." Uh, "Well, we can't have that. I'm not sure you'll be right and fit for this job." Uh, sorry, sir, I'll work hard. But he kept me on. I was able to stay there for seven years. But he taught me, you know, work hard. Uh, we worked on a high-end private golf course. We had nine total staff. That included the mechanic, the superintendent, the assistant, and the irrigation tech. So that left six of us employees to keep that golf course. So work hard, rise early, be disciplined, um, take accountability, and then probably most important with Larry, he taught that the environment matters. Uh, he really was a legend in the upper Midwest, and he was the first course in Minnesota to receive certified cooperative Audubon sanctuary status and only the 16th in the nation. So the environment mattered, and he took this serious, and he taught all his employees that. He taught how to set up golf courses, agronomic principles, take pride in what you do, the quote-unquote, the right way to get things done. Uh, I couldn't be more grateful to work for him. I would say everybody in your line of work wants to work on or with a Seth Rayner designed golf course at some point in their career. You got to do it as a teenager. Now that you've had decades to reflect, how, how has that helped you as a golf course architect, knowing a Seth Rayner designed golf course so intimately as a, as a teenager and, and young adult? That's a really interesting question. At the time, I have to be honest, I didn't really appreciate what I had. Like I said, I, I didn't know anything about design. I didn't, I didn't even know golf courses were designed when I was 16. I thought they were just parks. They cut a cup and put a pin in, basically. I, I was that uh, ignorant to how it all worked. But um, I got to play that golf course probably, I couldn't even get matched, a couple hundred times over the, that. But it brings back many fond memories, and it truly is a classic. And what some of the things that maybe influences my design today, there was a lot of what you would consider abnormalities on the golf course. I mean, it was par 73. They had back-to-back par threes. One in 10 were both par fives. They had par fives under 500 yards. Um, a lot of things that you, you know, quote-unquote, are not what normally is defined as normal golf course architecture. But as it turned out on the course, it also had uh, many, many classic holes. Uh, Charles Blair McDonald, or Charles Blair McDonald, is very famous for his 21 template holes that he describes. And I bet Minnesota Valley has a dozen or more of those, you know, the Redan Greens, Barretts, Eden, Knoll, uh, Double Plateau, and many others. And I have to, a side note, Bill Bergen, a colleague of mine from the ASGCA, did a fantastic restoration golf course in 2017. It, 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 it feels like you're back on an original Rainer golf course. It's amazing, really, really well done. So it definitely influenced my design decisions. Basically, there are no rules to design. It's an ever-changing playing field. There are no set standards. It's okay to break the quote-unquote rules. Uh, there are exceptions to those. Let's go out and have fun and really do what's right for the game of golf. Todd, how do you make the transition from somebody that is mowing these awesome playing surfaces to somebody 
designing awesome playing surfaces? Well, again, good question. I learned a lot on the golf course, you know, some maintenance practices, some Larry and some my, also from my coworkers and what it takes really to maintain a golf course to a high standard. And, and that's important today. Um, but it's okay to also have a golf course that may be a little ragged on the edges and have, generate a little more interest that way. But I definitely learned that uh, you, everything's open. Uh, everything's possible on a golf course design and transition that into the design process. But I also had the opportunity uh, to work on construction. I went from maintenance to golf course construction working for Wadsworth, also in the Midwest, and I had the opportunity to work on several great designs, uh, half a dozen or so over the years, and learned a lot from that. And combining that process with maintenance, construction, and then a degree in landscape architecture and taking that three-legged stool and putting it all together really created the basis for my design, I guess my design abilities and how I approach the game and what I look at on a golf course. Is that something you would tell a young person who wants to become a golf course architect is make sure you get maintenance, construction, and design experience, make sure you have all three of those covered? Uh, Whether it's right or wrong, I do, and I do it all the time. Um, Many, uh, myself and many of my colleagues oftentimes get asked, how did you get in the profession? What do I need to do? And there, there are many different ways. I mean, that's just one way um, how I did it. But I think the, the ability to have the understanding of how golf course breeds and operates through maintenance, how it's built uh, for help with budgeting and how you actually build the golf course, and then the idea of design, uh, combining all of those is absolutely critical. You, you can't learn golf course design from a book. It just doesn't work that way. It's hands-on experience. It's being out in the landscape. Obviously, you have to understand the nuances of the game itself, the history and traditions and, and everything else, but it, it, it doesn't work without maintenance and construction, I think, as a backup. So in 2010, you established your own golf course architecture firm. We've had some other guests on the podcast that established their own firms around that same time. What were some of the challenges of getting that started? And looking back on the last 10 years, what would you classify as some of your biggest triumphs so far uh, with your own firm? Well, that, that was a very interesting time, obviously. That was coming right out of the mortgage crisis. Golf was struggling. Courses were closing. Uh, a lot was going on with the game of golf, and a lot happened in, the, in, our, in this decade. Uh, obviously, what's, what's happening right now. But my roots in design date back to 1995, so I already had 15 years of experience in design. I was very, very fortunate to work with uh, some people who took me on as apprentice and mentored under John Fote and Bob Cup and many PGA Tour pros and others, and then work with Design Workshop, a land planning company, and designing. So I, when I stepped out on my own in 2010, I had a list of clients and potential clients and a, a resume, so to speak, and a portfolio of work that has been completed and was able to step right into several great remodel projects. And I would almost classify that decade as, as the decade of remodel, remodel, restoration, and renovation. Um, so many golf courses became outdated and infrastructure failing. and needed to be really looked at from a lot of different angles to improve and enhance. And that, most of my work during that time was remodel work. But going back to the other part of your question, what projects am I most proud of? There Gosh, all of them. I have to say I've been lucky to work with amazing owners and superintendents and developers and others, um, but there are probably three that stand out. One is Lodestone Golf Club in McHenry, Maryland. Big, bold, classic Parkland course with some of the most interesting greens I've ever done. 
when I was with Wadsworth, I was also a shaper and finisher, had the opportunity to learn that craft, and, and Lodestone got to apply that as well. That's one project. The Glacier Club in Durango, a true mountain course set at over 7,000 feet elevation. Um, one of the most challenging sites I've not only worked on, but I've ever seen. 600 feet of elevation change across, across the golf course. We blasted over 100,000 yards of rock just to fit the golf course in. I, I think it turned out spectacular. And then uh, the most current golf course that we are just wrapping up, real proud of, is the City Park Golf Course here in Denver. A complete remodel to a classic Tom Bendelow golf course that opened in 1913. Well, I'd have to say those are the three I'm real proud of at this point. Yeah, with City Park Golf Course, that's a gigantic project that involves a lot of entities. And what, it's been the, the last four years, Todd? What What makes it unique and how much has gone into that project over the last four years wow four years thanks for bringing it up guys <laughs> i did my i did my research uh that went fast it seems like just yesterday we started that project and it is you know it's in my backyard so to speak it's just you know it's a 25 minute drive to my office so that's pretty rare for a golf course architect as well we normally spend multiple weeks and months on the road as of i you know away from home but so it was nice to have a project like that and it is unique um just the other day, coincidentally, we were archiving the project. As, as, we're, you know, as we said, we're starting to wrap that up. We're going to be opening this fall. But I was looking at the project folder. And I, I, we have 5,000 different files. That means plans, sketches, Word docs, cell docs, documents. It was unbelievable. We had 70 gigabytes of information on that project. So bar none, this project I've spent more time on than any other project in my, in my career other than living on site, what I've got to do on several projects. So it, it's unique in that way, but probably the more interesting way it's unique is this is first and foremost a stormwater management project. This is done by urban drainage of the city and county of Denver. Um, I hate to say this as a golf course architect, but it, that's not what it was about, but that's what we turned it into. Um, the requirements of the project were immense. Um, there was severe flooding in the surrounding neighborhoods here in Denver. It's in a, the golf course itself is in a dense urban environment. It's on the skirts of downtown Denver, not far from the state capital, surrounded by uh, neighborhoods uh, across the street from the Denver Zoo, the Denver Science Center and Museum, uh, across the street from City Park itself, which is an historic Park, part of the National Register of Historic Places. There was a lot going on here, but what the city wanted to do, uh, it's a complex stormwater management system to alleviate the flooding in the area, um, and they needed a large open space to do that. And City Park happened to fall in the right location. Uh, the city, not easily, could, but could have gone out and started to take over city blocks and tearing down homes and, and doing what they needed to do, but that's not what anybody wanted to do. A golf course itself is a perfect environment for stormwater management. But the, the caveat here was this was no small engineering feat. Uh, we needed to, and the primary goal was that we had to store up to 227 acre feet of water on the property. Now, to give you a sense of what that is, you know, a typical golf course might be 150 acres. That would be a foot and a half of water over the entire golf course. So we had to take that amount of water, store it, slowly release it in eight hours to make the golf course playable again. So that was the engineering goal. And then how do you do that from a design perspective? And there are many things we had to look at. But a fun project in that way. But as a golf course architect, our job is to respect the course, respect the character, 
maintain the sporty fun, as Bendable called it, of the golf courses he created, uh, keep the charm. And in addition to the engineering, we wanted to hide that. So as you played the golf course, you never know it's a stormwater detention facility. But I tell you what, it was a lot of pushback for this project, a lot of concerned neighbors. I mean, they thought it was going to be an industrial stormwater and waste uh, management center. The golf course was going to go away. All the trees are going to be cut down. They're going to lose all the wildlife. And uh, went on and on and on. So we had a, we had a big goal ahead of us to address a lot of different areas. My head's spinning from some of those numbers, but the, the first – number you mentioned really stuck out 5,000 different files and 70 gigs for one project. Are you able to fit that all on one computer? Yeah. Luckily I have a big one. <laughs> um, yes. I, like I said, I was astonished. I've never looked at it. I'm going to go back someday and look at some of the other projects. They're probably close to that as too, but it just goes to show that we, there's a lot of thought put in this. And that's not just me. It's all my colleagues that are doing this as a living as well. We spend a lot of time and we're passionate. That's why we're in this. We're passionate about the sport. We're passionate about the game. We want to do the sport right. We want to do the, uh, the sites that we are given right. And, and it, it's up to us to really uh, respect the environment, understand sustainability, and create a golf, great golfing environment. Yes, 5,000 files, believe it or not. <laughs> so the next time the IT person here at our company complains about how much I have stored in our shared drives, I'm just going to mention the fact that some of the um, – podcast guests we deal with have way more stuff in their, their hard drives. Oh yeah. I'll, I'll back you up there. Guy. I got you. I got your back. <laughs> Another number. There's 136 acres of green space at city park at the golf course in Denver. How do you make good golf work with the residential values of that green space? Well, gosh, I can't even imagine what that property is worth. It has, had it not been or be a, or is a golf course. Um, I would never want that golf course good to go away though. It's a great community man, uh, amenity and it's very highly used. A number of rounds that goes through there is also mind-boggling, but it's, it's, it's a very historic area and historic property. It's one of the oldest public spaces in Denver. I think it dates back to 1882. You know, it's across from the zoo and some other amazing elements, but good golf work. I mean, our, our, my goal as a golf course architect was to, obviously we had to meet the engineering goals. So we had a great engineering firm by the name of Martin Martin here in Denver, we probably have 10,000 files on the project. It wouldn't even surprise me, but they figured out the engineering. My job was to respect the history of the Benville course, uh, maintain the character and charm of the golf course. Uh, you know, it would have been, it would have been really easy uh, to go in as an architect and, you know, quote unquote, blow it up and start over, uh, create a different style, more bunkers, more complex. But, you know, that's, that's not what existed. We spent a tremendous amount of time studying the golf course and what was there. We took our shapers around to look at the existing features so we could recreate them. Um, our approach was restraint. We, we wanted to maintain that character, consider the playability, who's playing the golf course, uh, make sure it's still an amenity for all of the players in the entire community, remember who the course is for, uh, bring new players to the game. So the program elements um, created by the city and county of Denver and, and Denver Parks and Golf, I think the technical requirements were numbering in the dozens, 40 or 50 that we had to meet. You know, it's on a first tee course, a bigger, larger practice area, new clubhouse if that was deemed necessary, many requirements for the green sizes, bunkers, number of bunkers, fairway widths. And it was a learning process for the city, for myself, working together to make sure that we created the best design possible. 
Because like I said, you can't you can't design golf in a book or some technical requirements, but it, it's being out on the landscape and working together to create the best possible playing experience for the visitors and players. We've talked about a lot of different architects from the past on this podcast series. We haven't mentioned Tom Bendelow a lot on recent Tartan Talks episodes. For our listeners that aren't familiar with him, how would you describe his work? Uh, I think he designed over 600 golf courses in his career, and he was hired first by the Spalding Golf Ball Company and Club Company uh, to design golf courses for them, and he churned them out. Uh, He would walk a course in a day, stake a T-turn point, a centerline turn point, a green turn point. He'd run them out, 18, you know, nine out, nine back, 18 out, uh, non-returning a bunch of different golf courses. So his early, early golf courses uh, probably didn't reflect exactly what he was capable of because he, he quoted himself that he wanted to design golf for the masses, golf for everyone, golf for fun. And that's what he did. Uh, just the sheer magnitude and number of courses he did was, is, is mind-boggling. But his career uh, evolved. And he became very adept at design and created some classic golf courses, like, for instance, the Dining Number 3 outside of Chicago is a great example of his work. Um, even City Park was back in 1913. You can see his characteristics starting to evolve. Uh, again, his main thing was sporty and fun and golf for everyone. So that's what we tried to recreate at City Park. Another municipal project you were recently involved with is Legion Memorial Golf Course in Everett, Washington. What made that project unique and describe the end result? Well, ironically, very similar to City Park, but not but just a different scale. Um, this time, this was a this was a classic Chandler Egan golf course. So I've been pretty fortunate in my career to work on some really historic golf courses around the country. And like I said, in City Park, we were tasked with storing 227 acre feet of water, which is which is it's just an enormous sum of water. That's a hundred year rain event, by the way. But at, at Legion Memorial, our engineering goal was just um, six acre feet of water, but that six acre feet of water, when it, when it rained, which it does in Everett, Washington, obviously, would tend to flood the surrounding neighborhoods almost, uh, you know, two or three times a summer, right? A lot. So they they had severe flooding issues that need they needed to deal with. So, but that's all they needed to handle was that amount. So we were easily able to go in. And in this case, not remodel all 18 holes like City Park, but just remodel five of the holes. And we created a stormwater detention system through the use of two lakes we incorporated into the design that don't look like stormwater elements. They look like normal golf pond features that you might find in any golf course. That's the beauty of a golf course. They are, they're just made for stormwater detention from wildlife enhancement, uh, wildlife corridors. It, it's just everything about a golf course is good from an engineering standpoint, as long as you can integrate the golf, that the golf keep maintains its charm and character and playability characteristics. So that, that course opened last fall. Uh, I think everyone's really happy with it. Um, they understand what it's supposed to do, but you, by looking at it, you can't tell that it's a storm stormwater project as well, but we're real proud of that. It's kind of interesting. Uh, golf course architects can go back to a course where they worked and see golfers enjoy it, and I'm sure there's a tremendous amount of fulfillment when you see that, but what's the fulfillment like when you drive around some of these courses and see the houses and see the neighborhoods knowing uh, what you did on that golf course is going to make their lives and communities better just from some of the water issues you handled? 
Yeah, you know, that, you know that, that, that's one of the perks of our job, I guess. You know, we're passionate about golf because we love the play and we love the design, we love the maintenance and construction, but there's also other uh, benefits to golf courses, right? Stormwater management, community amenities, uh, uh, just the game of golf itself. But like in Legion Memorial's case, there, we had a storm event there last year that had we not had the project installed, it would have flooded dozens of homes and millions of dollars in insurance claims. And none of that happened. Uh, the golf course handled the event. Uh, they were able to play golf there a, a day or so later. Uh, everyone was happy. Uh, it, so that is a kind of a side benefit we get, that our work does go outside of the realm of golf. So it's, that's enjoyable, and it, you know, it's, a, it's a good feeling. So there are a lot of different groups involved in these projects. Uh, how much patience must you have when working on a project that involves – numerous public and private entities like City Park and Legion Memorial Golf Course is just not one developer, one owner, or one membership you're working for. There are a lot of different groups involved in these projects. Well, there's, there, there certainly are, guy. Now, that's almost like a loaded question, but I, I guess I would call it... Maybe well, not I'm not going to get you in trouble here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's about patience. Uh, maybe it's about challenge. Maybe it's about opportunities. Maybe I'd call it opportunities and they're with a larger group like that, but they're they're all there for a reason. I mean, City Parks case, for example, we had, uh, I believe the final count was 17 separate agencies involved, along with a public design work group that had, we had, I think, a dozen or so work sessions with them. So if you count them, all nearly 30 different agencies involved, and they all I had, I would call it an agenda, but the agenda is good as long as you're working together and integrating those pieces for the betterment of the project, which is what my goal was, was to tie all of that together. So clear project goals and responsibilities were vital to the success of the project. Um, one thing we found that I think the pre-planning process of any type of municipal project or remodel should always include the superintendent a potential golf contractor and a golf course architect, because I think you can address a lot of the issues that may come down the road. But if everyone's working together with the common end that if one succeeds, all succeeds. I think it's it's definitely worthwhile to have everyone involved because we have, you know, uh, urban drainage, Denver Water, I'm just trying to list National Historic Register Place. We have just, the list goes on and on and on that um, we all got in the room together and talked about what we're going to do. So, again, it's, uh, yeah, it does require patience, but I think it does make the project better in the end. We've seen a lot of things that we haven't seen before in the, the last few months. And one of those things is there are golf courses in various parts of the country, especially in urban areas, that have been doubling as public parks since the outbreak of the COVID-19 pandemic. Do you see this as a necessity of the times, or do you see a long-term shift here where some golf courses are going to serve more than just a golf purpose? Wow, good question. Um, really good question. As we all know, golf has a long tradition of you know, history and just how the game is viewed and played, and I, I completely understand that and respect that. Um, but I do see this as a long-term shift. Interest, interestingly enough, this year, with the pandemic, for a variety of reasons, the golf courses across the country are having banner years, record-breaking rounds in revenue, and, and that's due to a lot of reasons, unfortunately, that you know, are unfortunate, as we all know of. But what goes to show is that these courses are doing these record amounts of rounds in revenue with a different approach to golf. Some of them are open to, they're opening up their courses for walking as a park. 
and yet they're still breaking rounds, numbers of rounds. So it can be done with a creative operator, a creative design, and the need and desire to work that together. So I, I think this is a long-term shift, and I think it's good for the game. I think it's it's good for the public. It's good for the community. And just look at St. Andrews and what, what they've done, uh, opening the golf course up every Sunday to the general public. Uh, another colleague of mine, Andy Staples, did a course called Rockwind in New Mexico, uh, all about community and how they work together to make the golf experience more enjoyable, to grow the game. We all know that we're, we're, the game is evolving and shifting and changing. I think um, in a very backwards way, this is showing us that golf can adapt and it can become a, a better environment for the community and all of its users. So, yes, I think it's a long-term shift. Our entire April issue of Golf Course Industry was about the successes and the people involved with municipal golf. Todd, in your mind, how will, will municipal golf look and feel in the, in the future? Well, that could be a whole other podcast easily. So if you ever want to have me back on, but yeah, we, anyway, we, we're going to eventually do some series in Tartan Talk. So that's uh, one we're going to tackle. Yeah, I think it, it's going to change. Like I just said a second ago, it is the game is adapting and the golf courses are responding to that. But it's critical to the survival of the game. I, I think, as most of us know, that who are listening, that. The majority of golf courses are public, 75% of them, and a lot of them are municipal golf courses. But on the other hand, a third of all players today are, are, are millennials, and they approach the game differently. I think you're going to see more alternative golf courses. What I mean by that, 12-hole routings, returning sixes, reversible golf courses. Uh, the municipal courses are going to become much more community and customer-focused. They're going to be scalable and multi-purpose. Um, you may see more flexibility, playing on your own terms. It will definitely be self-sustaining. Um, some of the difficulties facing golf, and we all know those as well, you know, sometimes it's too difficult, it takes too much time, it's too expensive, not affordable. So uh, golf courses may become more on demand, have easier access, be offered as a service, uh, they be more affordable. I think technology is going to play a vital role. Um, in how the game is approached. But definitely, I think they're going to see more of alternative types of golf courses that are catered to the community. Uh, we still have a need for the traditional, quote-unquote, traditional 18-hole golf course, the private golf courses, the high-end daily fees, resort golf courses. But on the municipal side, I think you're going to see much more community-centric golf courses involving, you know, inviting, welcoming players to a uh, a universal clubhouse, a different type of golf experience, and to grow the game that way. So, yes, it's changing. I think it's changing for the good, and I think it's uh, what we're going to be seeing in the future. Looking back on it, would you say the six-hole course that you played as a child was ahead of its time? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, yeah, 1970s, probably not, but, uh, there, but it was certainly was a lot of fun. I mean, I, I have so many fond memories of that golf course, but, yeah, it was ahead of its time. It's, I wish it was open today. Maybe I can convince that owner to, to put it back because I, I can't even imagine how many kids that I grew up with and others that played there that uh, grew, uh, grew their passion for the game in that little golf course. I mean, it was right next to the 18-holer, so we are always dreaming about climbing the fence and going over and playing there, which I did one day, unfortunately, to get my golf ball, climbed back, jumped off the fence, fell on my wrist and broke it. 12 years old, biking home with a with a, actually a bone sticking out of my wrist. But uh, so there's memories, both good and bad. But yeah, it was ahead of its time. 
And I think we're going to see more of that. Why not develop a park concept for six-hole golf courses, municipals, and municipal courses across the country? It can be done. There's room. Um, I think it's going to change. Yeah. So I was fortunate and never knew it at the time, but that look at what happens, goes around, comes around. You know, 50 years later, nearly, that we're going to see him again. But one of the golf courses I grew up playing was in Upper St. Clair Township, Pennsylvania, suburb of Pittsburgh. It was a three-hole municipal golf course. And the second tee was right next to one of the tees on the St. Clair Country Club, 27-hole golf course. So kind of similar to what you just mentioned. And yeah. and City Park had it as a first tee element, right? What was designing that that course for those specific players like? You know, that was a lot of fun because you're right. I forgot to mention that. we did, You know, there's a lot of program elements. So we did focus on the first tee course. We have a four-hole first tee course. And, you know, the first tee of Denver is located at our new clubhouse at City Park, so they were right there, which is one of the largest in the country. Um, it was a lot of fun. And, and also, Hale Irwin was a, is a good friend of mine and was a design advisor on this project and spent a little bit of time. And he has a passion for youth golf. And, and him and I got to go around and design those four holes. Um, it's going to be a great amenity for the kids. And, and they have a first tee classroom, no more than 20 yards from the first tee of the first tee course. Um, it, it, we can't wait to open that up. It has its own drop-off. Um, it's a great experience. It has all the same experiences as the regular golf course. So it's, we're excited about that. We're really excited about that. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Hale Irwin. He's really one of the most overlooked players in the, the history of the game, especially in the last 50 years. What does his set of eyes and his experiences add to, to the work that you do? Well, like I said, Hale's a good friend. We've been designing here now for over 10 years. And Hale tells me and our clients over and over again, he's had the opportunity to play in his pro-am event with thousands of golfers and of all abilities. And he's seen every single golf shot that can be hit, possibly hit, including backwards. And he tends to approach design from making, I would almost call it like a bendalo design, making it more playable, more interesting, more enjoyable. It's, you know, golf isn't necessarily about length. I think width outweighs length. Enjoyability outweighs length. Playability outweighs length. Strategy outweighs length. You can make golf courses terribly fun without having to have the typical 7,000-plus par 72 championship quote-unquote golf course. Look at Cypress Point, for instance, probably one of the best, if not the best golf course in the world, and how that plays. That's how Hale approaches it. He wants, he wants people to come back. He wants to make the experience fun. He wants to make it enjoyable. And you can certainly do that with different types of design characteristics and design methods. And that's how we approach a lot of our projects. Okay, last thing here. Uh, if you received an opportunity to conceptualize, design, build, and most importantly, fund a new golf course in 2020, what would you do? Wow, that's a good question. I hadn't thought about that one. Well, at first I'd ask you if you wanted to fund it. <laughs> okay, we'll assume that you have uh, significant or unlimited funds here. Okay, here you go. Um, well, I would simply put, you know, to address some of the problems with golf, you know, too long to play, it's not necessarily always welcoming, too expensive, not a satisfying experience, too hard, but simply put, a user-friendly, fast, fun, and affordable alternative layout. I mean, community amenity. I mean, I probably look something like this. If I you know, had, let's say, 100 to 150 acres, 18 holes, three returning sixes of that 18, I'd have one of those be a returning nine. I'd make the course reversible. It wouldn't be any longer than probably 63 to 6,500 yards in the back tees. Um, 
all that can be done with 18 holes uh, through design, which is great. Uh, multiple tees, forward tees, large practice area, community gathering areas. I'd probably try to work an integrated trail system through the course, big wide playing corridors. Yet also provide all the interesting shapes, features, greens you'd find on a, you know, a top 100 golf course. Um, I, I think you could, you could offer so much flexibility. Um, I forgot to mention, on City Park, we have three courses within the course. We have a five-hole course, a seven-hole course, and a six-hole course that people can play. If they want to play in an hour and a half or before work or after work, yet they can play nine or eighteen as well. So there are many things you can do. And I, I think I'd have to uh, persuade the USGA for handicap purposes to allow scores to be posted for six holes, which you can't right now. But there's no reason, like, they combine nine for a handicap. You can't combine sixes, three of them. So maybe that will change someday in the near future. But that's something that I would, I would like to do. Todd, this was a lot of fun. I, I appreciate you joining the podcast. Good luck with their reopening of the City Park Golf Course later this year, and good luck with your other projects. And we look forward to catching up with you again soon. Yeah, thank you, Guy. I really appreciate your time, and I hope to see you on the golf course uh, sometime soon. Again, thank you very much.